Welcome back to Kings of Columbus. Doug Lamarice and Bill Landis were doing a spring game draft. Landis, I can remember, I'm old enough to remember sitting in the Ohio State team room with two groups of seniors on either side of the room and them drafting actual teams for the spring game and deciding like, oh, who, who are we going to play with? And like, this is who they would actually put on the field in Ohio Stadium in front of thousands of people. One year, Justin Boren was a guard. He's a guard. And like his team didn't draft enough tackles. They're like, oh, you got to play tackle in the spring game. It's like, what are we doing? They were so <laughs> beholden to this draft. It People were shouting. It was wonderful. And now they don't do that anymore. So the only spring game draft for Ohio State is here. They should do that. Why did they stop? Because they don't like fun? Yeah. Yeah. I guess because they value preparation for the season ahead of like mm. fun. So thanks a lot, Ryan Day and Urban Meyer and everybody do? else. So we are not actually, we're not just like, well, actually, we don't want to do that. No, we're not drafting. Do we want to change the whole show? No, we're not drafting no. teams. We're not ready to do that. Plus, that's not the point because we don't think all these veteran older guys who stayed are going to be like huge factors in spring football, right? Because it's like we kind of know what they do. And like, do we even think they might have limited snaps in practice and probably won't play that much in the spring game on April 13th, right? Yeah, that's typically the way it goes. Also, if we want to do a spring game draft, we can do it closer to the spring game, I suppose, if we want to. This is like this is a, this is a draft of the spring, all fifteen spring, practices. Not spring game. Yeah. Yeah. We are we it's February. Yeah. Still it's February twenty eighth. That'd be pretty crazy to do a spring game draft. All right, maybe, maybe we'll do it. <laughs> every episode between now and the spring game is a spring game draft. It's just like we each make one pick. <laughs> and then we super analyze it. And that's just like, we're out of content. So what, yeah, we are drafting actually, what we're actually drafting is the guys that we're most interested, intrigued, excited about to see this spring. So we are drafting guys that we don't know about, that we are expecting to get answers or at least more information, right? Is that my explaining this right? We're going to draft 10 Ohio State Buckeyes, but we're not going to draft Denzel Burke. We're not going to draft Jack Sawyer. We're not going to draft the guys that kind of have already laid out who they are as players. Yeah, we're we're drafting based off of like <clears throat> if Jerry Emig said you can get a one on one with someone, like who would we? Well, maybe that's not even it either because I don't want to talk with Denzel Burke. Um, this is like like guys who are interesting this spring, like guys we don't know a whole lot about, guys who are in position battles, not like guys who. You know, or household names by this point. They're they're important and they're interesting, but we're talking about kind of kind of lesser lesser known guys. How about this? Because because you and I have been part of this in various stops before. If we were at practice for a whole practice and we were divvying up who's going to watch who during mm. this practice, that's what we would be drafting. Yeah, I want to yep. watch this guy practice for two hours. Yes. Okay. That's it. That's it. Pick one to you. Oh wow, we're jumping into already. Um, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be I'm gonna be true to who I am, and I'm gonna go to the offensive line. I, it's not I'm not I didn't necessarily rank mine like in the order of most important or like most mass appeal. I guess. Um, yeah, I kind of stuck to what I thought was interesting, like for me and what I like, and what I like is offensive line play. So I guess I'll ask you this before I make my pick. Can I combine two guys into one pick, or should I just pick one? One player. Uh, 
do you want to it depends who you want to combine because there's a con there's another thing i'm i'm gonna want to <laughs> i want to combine tegra shibola and luke montgomery should we have a weight limit on the combination that the weight <laughs> can't exceed 650 pounds if you combine players also do you think i was trying to think uh do you think mass appeal would be a good name for a new england rapper Oh yeah, there probably is like a yeah. New England rapper named Mass Appeal. Yeah, I don't know if Ryan Day, if he was a rapper, would want to do Mass Appeal. Do people from New Hampshire hate Massachusetts? I don't know. Um, I don't know if you should put these guys together or not because I definitely sort of separately had them keep them separate. Keep these two separate. So make your okay. Pick. Then then I'll pick Luke Montgomery. Okay, as the number one as the number one guy. Um, because I think I, I actually think I, I'm, I'm thinking right tackle when I make this pick. All right, and, let me interrupt you. Let okay. me interrupt you. Okay, I'll take Tegra Shabolas. <laughs> okay, second, so. so we can talk about them together. So we can kind of talk about them together, but still, I think we they they are both interesting enough on their own for us to want to dive in for a while. So, but feel free to maneuver. Yes. Okay. Well, the, okay. The reason I took Luke Montgomery is because, like, I'm thinking right tackle, and I think like he's actually a tackle. I'm okay. I am not so sold on the idea that Tegra is a tackle, um, and I, I really I think Josh Fryer is going to going to move the guard. Like when we go out there for the day one of spring practice, I, I think Josh Fryer will be playing guard, um, if not day one, then like very early on because I think they want to get an idea of what that looks like, which opens up the right tackle competition. Probably between the, at least the two we're talking about, maybe there's there's a third guy in there like Zemo Halski, but um, I think of that group, Luke is the most interesting because of his recruiting pedigree, because of the fact that he got on the field some as a true freshman when they went to that uh, Bison package with the jumbo tight end. That Luke got to do some of that um, when Luke was not playing that, and they did put him in the games. It was at right tackle, um, and you know garbage time was like thirty snaps or so. I think that he got to play at right tackle. Um, and I just I think like the plan has been we're gonna sign Luke Montgomery, we're gonna develop him, and then like after year one, we think he might be ready to jump into a starting spot, preferably at tackle, if if that's what you know all the moving pieces allow. So he's a guy that I would want to spend a lot of time watching to see what that looks like. Because I, I watched him some last spring when he was like running with the threes at tackle, and um, there were times where I thought he looked pretty impressive. Never did I really think that he was going to push for a starting job as, as a true freshman. I know you asked Ryan Day a little bit about that um, last offseason as we were going through the spring and the summer trying to figure out what the slime was going to look like. But now now I think like we're obviously past that. He's going into a sophomore year, and I, and I think now is like a realistic time for a guy like Luke Montgomery, borderline five-star guy, top 100 prospect, to be ready to start on Ohio State's offensive line. And, and I kind of think he's going to be their starting right tackle. Um, so like these 15 practices, I think are going to tell us a lot about whether or not he's ready to do that. Ryan day dropped Luke Montgomery's name at big 10 media days last July in a way that like, to me was like, what, mm -hmm. like, are we, are you implying that Luke Montgomery is truly in the battle at right tackle? And it, and it felt like he was sort of dancing there for like a, maybe in July and maybe like super early in camp. And then that, that backed off. And I don't know if that was just, I don't know what that was. I don't know if that was based on off season workouts. If that was based on desperation, we have, we have no idea who, who the, our right tackle is going to be. So we'll throw in the highly yeah. rated freshman as part of that discussion. Um, Tiger Shabola is listed at six. I, it feels like they're not, 
we're doing this on Kings of the North too. It's like some teams have like sort of like update. It's like, have you updated? Are we looking at your 2024 roster yet? So I don't know if it's fully updated. Tegra Shabol is listed at 6'6", 322. Luke Montgomery is listed at 6'4", 302. So is 6'4", long enough for a tackle? Yeah, well, I would need to know what Luke's arm length is, but I, I don't think I don't think six four means you're not long enough to play tackle, right? Um, Often Ohio I, State's tackles are more like six six or six seven. Yeah, we've seen a couple of guys like Jamarco Jones was more like six four. Um, Isaiah Prince, I think, would have been like six five. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like the majority of them, probably, if you went through the the starting tackles of the last decade, have been probably six 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 seven. Um, and then Dewan Jones, who was, you know, eight feet tall. Um, but I know I, I think I think Luke has the length to play tackle, at least in college. Like, it's like, can yeah. you do it in college? Can you do it in the NFL? Are two different questions. Like in college, I think Luke has, has the length to play tackle. Yeah. Do you ever stand next to Ohio State offensive linemen, like after interviews, when you can kind of walk up to a guy and grab him real quick? Do you ever stand next to them and try to look at how long their arms are? Or like, no, do you know, do you know your wingspan, by the way? I don't know my wingspan. I know that my wingspan is short for my height. Like, oh. I don't have the length to play tackle. Oh. <laughs> I don't think I play, like, I, I was, I was more of an interior uh, lineman. I did play some tackle, but I, I, I think like for someone who's almost, like I'm almost six, six, my arms actually aren't that long. So I do try to compare it sometimes. Like, is that guy or that guy's arms at least longer than mine? Because if they're yeah. not, then it's like, oh, you're not, you don't quite have the wingspan to play tackle. What if that was the test? What if that was what Justin Fry would like run recruits through and like Justin Fry, like you're out <laughs> Just of stand camp next to me. Fry's, I'm out here like this. <laughs> go stand next, go st- oh, they failed the Landis test. Oh my God. Now I want to test my wingspan against your wingspan because I'm wondering, do you think it's possible my wingspan's longer than your wingspan? I'm like six yeah. one. Mm hmm. Oh, I do. All right. We'll do that on our show. Is that good yeah. content? <laughs> we used to measure people. You and I were on a podcast together where we once measured a, a human against a wall. Yeah. Remember that? Who did we measure? We measured Tim Bielik. I think we were trying to figure out how tall Tim Bielik was against. Oh, yeah, we did. We measured Tim Bielik in my basement. So anyway, <laughs> um, so I'm intrigued by this. And there's a particular thing that, so it's like you said, can we combine them? I said, No. And then I was like, wait, let's combine them. Yeah. This is what I, I double-checked. So I went back the last 10 years of Ohio State starting offensive linemen, okay? And I went through, in what year did they win their starting job out of camp? Okay, and mm-hmm. what year in the program? Um, I think that I have... I have 26 guys, okay? Through through last year, 26 guys. Three of them are transfers who came into the program. So, like, I'm throwing them out because they weren't Ohio State's developmental guys the whole way. That's uh, Malcolm Pridgen, Jonah Jackson, and Josh Simmons. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, that means we have, um, we have 23 other guys. Okay? Do you – and I think only one guy won a starting job on the offensive line out of camp as a true freshman. Do you know who it was in the last 10 years? Ohio State Michael offensive Jordan. Line? Michael Jordan. Okay. Yeah. There's this was a, there's only one guy who won a starting job. And I mean it for the first time, right? That you I I won the job as a fourth year player. Only one guy as a fourth year player. Josh Fryer last year. 
The only guy who won a job as a fourth-year player for the first time. Not Brandon Bowen? No, because he won it as a third-year guy, then got hurt. Then got hurt. That's right. And okay. then came back and like re-won it as a fifth-year guy. Right. And then there are, uh, let's see, one, two, three. There are four guys who won it as fifth-year guys. Mm -hmm. Okay. And a couple of like, I always chase, chase Ferris and Daryl Baldwin, Baldwin in 14, chase Ferris in 15. Then the right tackles those two years. They're like fifth year seniors. That's exactly what you want those guys to do. That's a big deal. Also Demetrius Knox and Matt Jones was that too. Matt Jones yeah. wound up being a two year starter as a fifth year guy and a sixth year guy. So, so this is a very long winded way to finally get to my point, which is of the 23 guys who came through Ohio state, got here as true freshmen and then won their jobs. 17 of them won the starting job as a second-year guy or a third-year guy. That's what happens. That's what's normal. That's how this goes. Michael Jordan, as a freshman, was forced into it. Sometimes on the back end, you have fourth-year, fifth-year guys who just take a little longer to develop, or maybe there's just like the opportunity comes late. You know, Matt Jones kind of didn't win a job for two years and then won it, right, that you're mm -hmm. losing out. that but this is how it works. Tegra Shibola as a third-year guy, Luke Montgomery as a second-year guy. This is how this works. This is normal. And that it hasn't happened quite that way in the last couple of years, I think is sort of the indication of like, this is the end of like the Greg Strudrawa recruiting era. Justin Fry comes in. You've got to win some guys. They have to get back on track with second-year and third-year guys winning jobs. You're a big-time recruit. We're not expecting, you know, the first year is developmental. Maybe the second year is developmental, right? And there's been a couple guys who have come through. I think Nicholas Petit-Frere stands out as a guy that we thought would win a job in year two. Didn't win the job, fought for it, and then won it in year three. If you win a job in year three, you're not behind. You're not. No, I don't think so. But if you're a pretty highly rated recruit and you don't win a job in year three, then I think it's fair to say you you kind of are behind, or uh, maybe behind not the not the right word because again Matt Jones wound up being a very productive player for Ohio State. He was a great sixth guy in year four. He's a starter in year five and year six. That's a great career. But this I think it is potentially normal for both Luke Montgomery and Tegra Shabola to win jobs this year. Because I'm wondering about the idea, like Josh Fryer's a heck of a sixth offensive lineman in my mind. So, like, yeah. I, I don't want to shove. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I want to remind people that this should happen because these are two very highly rated in-state Ohio linemen, and it would be on track for both of them to win jobs, and they can start showing it this spring. Well, that's kind of why I think the whole right side should be open competition, right? Like, yeah. and and I agree with moving Josh Fryer to guard because I just I I don't think we saw it last year with him playing tackle, but I I don't think because he was a starting right tackle that he should just automatically be the starting right guard either. Now, if you pull him there and he plays better than everybody else and he wins the job, and great, that's good for him. You went through a good process to find I think that you're, you're starting offensive lineman, but I think Tegra and Luke probably are ready. Um, which means like both of them should have an opportunity to start if they prove themselves to be the two best guys for the job. And you probably throw Carson Hinsman in that mix too. If it's like, it's like four guys, maybe it's five. If you include Zemo Hosky. So like five guys for two starting jobs, may the best man win. And like everyone in that conversation with the, I guess like Zen couldn't play guard. And I guess you don't want Carson playing guard 
but the other three can play guard or tackle. Um, and that which gives you like flexibility and an opportunity, I think, like really mix it up and see what looks the best. Um, so that's what I'm hoping to see from the right side of the line. I, I don't know if that's actually going to be the way of things. Um, but I don't know, like, right when Ryan Day said, like, we're going to try Josh Fryer at guard, it wasn't like he's starting, we just don't know where yet. It was like, yeah, we're going to move him around and, and, and see what shakes out. So I, I do think both of these guys have an opportunity to emerge from spring practice as guys we think are going to start on this line in the fall. And I want to make this clear. This is like nothing against Josh Fryer, but I the, the distinction between what Luke Montgomery as a year one guy last year and Tegra Shabola as a year two guy last year, what they were able to do, the way they were able to compete compared to what you might expect from them in year two and year three, I think could be a, a gap, a mm-hmm. vast difference. And that they just raised Josh Fryer's Josh Fryer. And last year, that meant he was one of Ohio State's five best offensive linemen. Now Josh Fryer's Josh Fryer, and maybe this year means it's not. He's not. And that's yeah. that's good that both Tegra and Luke, with another year of experience, this is this is the norm. And, and again, I just I just I think people know this, but I'm just we're here to make you happy. We're we're just like bathing in offensive line talk to start this show. Last year, right? Okay, last year. The three offensive linemen who would have been like third-year guys last year, that again, we're saying second and third-year guys winning jobs, that's normal. One was Donovan Jackson, who had already won a job as a second-year guy. So that's he's, he's way on track. Zed Mahalski, who was like a lower-recruited guy and just like didn't win it as a third-year guy. And then Ben Crispin transferred to Kentucky. So like they didn't – the last year when normally you would have these third-year guys ready to fight and win jobs – they were one for three with those guys starting. And then the the um, the year two guys last year, Tegra, right, didn't win it. George Fitzpatrick didn't win it. Avery Henry's career was ended by his cancer fight. And again, we got the great news last May that, that he was then cancer-free. And then Carson Hinsman was forced to be the starting center whether he was ready or not, right? Mm-hmm. So I just... I think we got off. So Josh Simmons last year as a third-year guy, he just his first two years were at San Diego State, wound up being a guy, hey, start in year three. But we didn't see that developmental process here because they had a couple classes in a row where they didn't have as many guys who were ready to be starters in year two and year three as they normally should. If, like, is it, I, I, Yeah, that makes I, sense. I'm just trying it, to reestablish it, for people like what the norm is and I think it's time for them to get back to the norm when they've been outside that norm on the offensive line. I think you're 100% right. And and you can add on top of that that they're, the fourth-year class was like Josh Fryer and Jacob James. Um, right. Who Trey else Rue, is in that Grant group? Tutant, right? Yeah, Grant Tutant. Uh, yeah, it's just like there wasn't much there. Like there was one right. guy out of that entire – like Parrish Johnson was in that class. But like you almost like separate him. Um the rest of that group, which I think was four other players, produced like one guy who like was even talented enough to play at Ohio State. <laughs> so co- compound what you just said with the second and third year guys with that, and you're not in a very good situation. So I just want to run through because I don't want to beg the question, right? So here's the here's the guys, okay? In the last 10 years of Ohio State offensive line play, Michael Jordan was the guy who became a starter for the first time in year one. The year two guys, they won a starting job in year two. Billy Price, Taylor Decker, Isaiah Prince, Thayer Munford, Harry Miller, Luke Whippler, Paris Johnson, Donovan Jackson, and Carson Hinsman. 
The guys who won starting jobs in year three, Jacoby Boren, Pat Elfline, Jamarco Jones, Brandon Bowen, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, Nicholas Petit, Frere, and Dewan Jones. So again, that, that like, I, I think I can remember a little bit like Wyatt Davis didn't win a job in year two and he had been a highly recruited guy and it was like, oh, what? And then like he had to play at the end of year two, right? Because of the injury and then he was ready for year three. Mm-hmm. But again, like it's year three is still still normal. This is huge. These two guys in this battle, would you say one of them definitely will win a starting job? Like, like this is the, the open Matt Jones spot, however it works out, whether it means it's a guard at tackle, will be filled by either Shibola or Montgomery. Yeah, I think one of these guys is starting. Yeah. What do you think the chances are of both starting on the in the first game of the season? Um, I don't know. Maybe like I'd put it at like between 30 and 40%, maybe. Okay. Okay. No, I th- I think that's fair too. And again, I I actually want to do it. And if you guys don't watch us on Kings of the North, we just would invite you to try it. We do that twice a week. We do Kings of Columbus here once a week. I would like to do something. I think, and it's not even underrated. One of the most important things for an individual team's success in a single year is offensive line health. Mm-hmm. So I would like to go back and maybe in the last five years or something, go through our Northern teams and find out how many, how many starts did you miss? Like from the guys you expected to be your starting five offensive line in week one, how many games did you miss due to injury? And it's Ohio state has been pretty healthy for a long time. So this is one of those, like, you know, Matt Jones, when he was that sixth guy, they needed him a little bit that year, but like they, you need six or seven because you never know when it's going to pop up. Haven't they been right? I can't even like, I have a terrible memory. They've been pretty healthy. Haven't they? The only one off the top of my head that I can remember like being like a kind of like a devastating long-term thing to a starter was Brandon Bowen. Yeah. Right. And that's like pre Ryan day era. Yeah. Yeah. They've had, they've had some stuff here and there. Like they had the start Enoch against Michigan two years ago. Um, and they had like the Michigan State game in 2020 when like their entire offensive line had COVID. But oh, right. aside from that, like there hasn't been there, they've been very lucky, I think. Okay. How's that? Vic? Do you want to do punters right away now? Or are you just riding high? You good? Look, anytime you can start a podcast with like roughly 20 minutes of offensive line talk, it's going to be a good day. All right. Pick three back to you then, since we both took offensive linemen. This oh, start. it's back to me. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about CJ Hicks then. Okay. Um, CJ Hicks is a guy, and I did I did ask. Um, actually, I'll throw this in real quick. This was Avery. I sent this out to our tech subscribers, 614-662-4509. If you want to sign up, spring football is not a bad time to sign up for uh, for our tech subscription. You get a two-week free trial. Um, Avery did say, I am very eager to learn about the development of Luke Montgomery and whether he is ready to play right tackle. I believe that an elite top 100 guy like that should be ready to play in his second year. Uh, despite being on the offensive line, Luke locking up the right tackle spot would allow Josh Fryer and Tegra Shibola to get reps at guard, which is their natural position. That actually is like a really, really Avery, awesome. Avery said yeah. it like in uh, 20 we, seconds. You and I we said took 20, 20 minutes. minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, but CJ Hicks is, is another person. When I sent out this as a survey and said, like, I, I took, I looked at this and I'll, I'll, I'll share this. I shared this with our tech subscribers. Obviously, I'm going to share it with everybody now. Last year, Ohio State had 29 guys play 200 snaps on offense or defense. 
18 of those 29 guys are back. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I, if you played 200 snaps last year, I didn't include you in this list, but then I took like the top 10 most interesting people who didn't play 200 snaps and said, okay, like who are you most interested intrigued by this spring? Number two on that list of 11 players was Luke Montgomery. Number one was CJ Hicks. Why is CJ Hicks a guy that you're curious about? I think for the same reason that everyone else who voted on that list is like, it, it's, it's odd to me that a guy who was so highly ranked as CJ Hicks, who was so important in his recruiting class to the point where he was called captain Buckeye before he even got here, just hasn't done a whole lot. Like has had trouble seeing the field. And I don't, the thing that's difficult for me is like, I don't have a good grasp on how much of that is because CJ Hicks wasn't ready to play or just because like philosophically Jim Knowles just doesn't rotate a whole lot at linebacker and um, Ohio state, I think as a staff is a little slow to like, to just like throw young guys into games, like in the second half when they're out of hand. Um, so like there were some missed opportunities potentially for a guy like CJ to play more than he has, but I, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily a hundred percent a reflection of like this guy, you know, was, wasn't ever ready to, to play, more more than he has um but now there's like no excuse to not put him out there this spring like he's gonna get i don't know every meaningful linebacker rep this spring or, or you know 90 percent of them there's a little bit of a competition there i guess but i would i would think that cj is kind of first among the guys aside from cody simon who's going to get uh, a lot of the linebacker work this spring and then there's also we have them listed here you know for people watching on youtube we have linebacker slash jack um we need to figure out what's going to happen with that position. Cause like the, last year there, there were at the very least like conversations with CJ Hicks about doing that stuff. Cause I remember, I think it was in the summer must've been during camp and like CJ was walking off the field. And I think like maybe like heard people talking about the Jack position or something, maybe like Jim Knowles is doing an interview and like CJ, like said, like he was excited about the potential of the Jack position going oh. into next season. And then like, they never did it. Um, so I don't know, like, there's a conversation there, I guess, to be had about what's the better fit for him, like just be the starting wheel linebacker or be more of a hybrid player in this defense. And I don't necessarily know the answer to that because we haven't seen him play a whole lot of football, which is which makes this spring um, exciting. But you got to sort of figure out where he fits in positionally and then, I guess, figure out if he's ready to take on starter-level snaps because we don't really know any of that about a guy who was a five-star prospect two years ago or three going we have to, well, three years we have ago. To- Combine again. I'll, t- I'll take Sonny. I'll take Sonny Styles. For yeah, us. yeah. We, we probably should combine them. We probably here. should combine them both. Yeah, yeah. So this was from Zach, one of our text subscribers, who voted for CJ Hicks. Since the rise of Georgia and Kirby Smart, I've wanted a dynamic, rangy, first-round type linebacker for the Buckeyes, like the ones that have anchored and made the Georgia defense so strong. I felt that CJ would finally be that guy after a disappointing year where he didn't see the, see the field much. I hope he can finally break out as that guy. And again, I think like disappointing from the point of opportunity, right? Like like you can't say like, Oh, CJ Hicks like was disappointing in his play. Cause like he didn't get a chance to play enough to like have anyone make that kind of evaluation. Cody Simon's the middle linebacker. Can, but if he doesn't need a lot of spring reps, Who's say they say, hey, Cody Simon, take a day off, right? Which they, they do that, right? They give veterans a day off. Mm-hmm. Who's running at middle linebacker with the ones on the day when Cody Simon's taking the day off? Is it Gabe Powers? I would right now, yeah, I would say probably Gabe Powers at Mike and CJ at Will. 
Okay. So then what do we think as we combine this into a CJ Hicks, Sonny Styles conversation? Sonny's, are Sonny Styles and CJ Hicks going to wind up competing for reps at Will Linebacker? Like, is, is there truly an either or choice here that we're going to start seeing that manifested in the spring? Potentially. Yeah. I, I, I think maybe like likely, I, I don't know. We, we talked with James Larnardis and McIlary about Sonny Styles last week and McIlary, I think very much was to keep him in the safety room and James Larnardis would love to have Sonny Styles in the linebacker room. Um, clearly they have to move him around some because of like Jordan Hancock's back and Jordan Hancock, I think needs to play nickel almost all the time. Um, so I think it will develop into a situation where unless the Jack becomes a thing, Sonny and CJ will be competing with each other for snaps. Okay. So that's just, I, I just, we, we have to figure out like how this actually is going to work. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. The two deeper safety spots, not the slot cover safety corner. Mm-hmm. Are we assuming when we get to the season that Caleb Downs and Lathan Ransom will fill those two spots basically every snap? Yes. Okay. So then could we get into a world where with three players between the will linebacker spot and the slot corner slot safety spot, that it is somewhat of three guys for two spots between Jordan Hancock, Sonny Styles, and CJ Hicks, where Hicks is at the will linebacker spot, Hancock's in the slot, and Sonny's at one of those two spots, and that those reps get split in a way that it's almost like two-thirds, two-thirds, two-thirds? Or would you expect, no, it's going to be that Jordan Hancock is the slot corner slot safety against a team, whether they're throwing it or running it, because he's got to stay on the field? Uh, I mean, that's what it was last year before Lathan Ransom got hurt. So I think it very well, I mean, the, the linebacker piece wasn't necessarily part of that conversation, but like the idea of like splitting time sort of depending on matchups um, was a thing before Lathan Ransom got hurt and then like Sonny Styles and Jordan Hancock had to play all the time. Um, so yeah, I think it could become that. I don't, okay. I, I, don't, I don't think Jordan Hancock should ever come off the field. But you can only play eleven guys, so maybe he, maybe he will. Yeah. Okay. So let let me play a little. Let's play a little game. The game is called "Should They Ever Come Off the Field?" Mm-hmm. Should Caleb Downs ever come off the field? No. Should Lathan Ransom ever come off the field? No. Should Jordan Hancock ever come off the field? No. Should Sonny Styles ever come off the field? No. Should C.J. Hicks play more than eleven snaps this year? Like this, yes. there's too many guys. Right. Well, well the other part of that, the other part of that question too is like, is Cody Simon going to play every single snap at Mike linebacker like Tommy Eichenberg did? Because I don't know that that is that answer definitely yes, or could there be like think, a three man linebacker rotation? What do you think of Cody Simon in coverage? I don't like it. I thought he was really good last year, but like I didn't like when I saw him out there on passing downs. I cannot imagine them having Cody Simon off the field on first and second down where he is the quarterback of the defense, setting mm-hmm. everything up, stopping the run, right? That's just, yeah. I mean, like, the, 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 but if you're third down linebackers or CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles, I could see that. Could you see that? Absolutely. Yeah. Except that also might be the opportunity where like CJ Hicks is playing the Jack. And I, so, I mean, this is all good. This is, I, I am very quick to get into panic mode about hashtag too many good players. 
Mm-hmm. There was a time I was doing it like with the Browns when it was like the Browns <laughs> were going to be like a wild card team. And I was like, they have too many good players. And it's like, okay, relax. It's the Browns. But this is where like the CJ Hicks conversation just is, is difficult to me because there are, so, you just named four guys that shouldn't come off the field. And CJ Hicks played 75 defensive snaps last year. The other four of them were all full-time starters mm-hmm. who have a lot of tape and a lot of trust. And it's just hard for CJ Hicks to like kind of break through that if he's not going to play Mike, if he's not now, maybe he would have that ability too. I mean, could, and where he's, he's splitting some of those Cody Simon reps, but, but also, I mean, it's, this is why this is on our list because we're, we're curious about how McCreary, James Lorenitis and Jim Knowles and Ryan day figured this out. Right. Yeah, it's day. It's a day one question for Jim Knowles, okay. I think, who we have not talked to since the end of the season. We've talked to James Arnitis and McIrary, both of whom kind of defer to Jim Knowles. So we're waiting for that opportunity to ask him what's up. But is it? But Jim Knowles, right? I mean, we have to see it because we're going to say, Jim, how are you going to find? Sna- isn't this an issue to try to find snaps for all these guys? He say, Yeah, that is an issue. You know, there's a lot of good players. There's limited snaps. Yeah. That's a hard one. I'm going to be in my office working on that, right? I mean, like, isn't he? That's what he's going to say. We're going to say, he's going to just agree. When we say, what are you going to do about this difficult problem? No, it's not a problem. (laughs) Too many good players is not a problem. problem, When we say, what are you going to do about this difficult circumstance? He's only going to agree with the idea that it's a difficult circumstance. That's all. He's not going to tell us. Yeah. Well, I guess you can't ask it that way then, right? To ask it a different way. Yeah. There's like there's like five questions, it's like a five question package, I think, to get to some kind of clarity on what's going on here. Should we play? Should that guy come off the field with Jim Knowles? <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the first step. He just runs oh. with thirteen guys. He says no to all of them. Like that guy should never right. come off the field. We're yeah. just going to get a penalty on every on every <laughs> snap. Thirteen men on the field on the Ohio State defense. I did ask our test subscribers. Enough of this other stuff. Is your number one question for this spring trying to figure out where Sonny Styles is going to play in the fall, linebacker or safety? These were the choices that I gave the tech subscribers. Yes, it's all about Sonny. No, I care about all of the Buckeyes. Or no, he's going to be a linebacker. So no real question in my mind. What do you think one of those three choices about Sonny Styles? Uh, I think the people are confident that he's going to be a linebacker. Yeah, 59%. I'm not worried about it. He's going to be a linebacker. 26%. I care about everybody. 15%. Yes, it's all about Sonny. Are you confident he's going to be a linebacker? Yes. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Is Sonny Styles... Going to be a linebacker because it is the best thing for him. Is that his most natural position? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Is he going to be a linebacker because they brought in the best sophomore safety in the country as a transfer? Well, I think it's more, I think it's more about Lathan Ransom and Jordan Hancock. Cause I don't, I don't know that any of those guys is a candidate to play where Caleb Downs is going to play. But if Caleb Downs wasn't here, would Sonny still be a safety? No, I think if Caleb Downs wasn't here, we'd be talking about Malik Hartford playing the adjuster. Okay. I'm breathless. I'm breathless from the depth of these pre-spring draft <laughs> conversations. My God, they got to get on the field, man. When do they get on the field? Tuesday? Tuesday, yeah. Oh, my God. There's so many things. Let's take a break now. 
Okay. We haven't we haven't even gotten to life, what I think arguably might be the most interesting thing. Take a breath. We'll be back on Kings of Columbus. I hope I hope this is fun. It should not be this stressful, but but it's because it matters and they have a lot of good players and it's interesting and like it just yeah. proves that we do care, Landis, about finding out this information. So we yeah. really want to find out what's going to happen with Luke Montgomery and Tiger Shabola, and we really want to find out what's going to happen with CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles. I, I, those, I, I, without question, I think are the two biggest uh, questions people have on their mind going into spring ball. There, there are others. We'll get to them here shortly. But like, what's going on, on the right side, and where's Sonny going to play are the two things we're going to ask everybody every time we have a chance to talk to anyone. Offensive line really is a thing. Jeffy P wrote in and said it's all about the offensive line this spring. Um, Drew said it's not a player but a group. I know the offensive line and the linebackers are position groups with a lot of question marks. Um, so that's you know that's real. So people, I mean, people understand um, what the situation is here with these guys. So okay, pick five. We're back to you. All right, I'm gonna. I'm going to try to avoid another situation where we need to draft two guys back to back just so we talk about them together. Um, although I guess it's unavoidable at this position too, but I'll take Carnell Tate. Okay. I actually had Carnell Tate on my list too. I thought I was being fancy by having Carnell Tate. So explain to me why you want to take Carnell Tate. Uh, I want to take Carnell Tate because of Marvin Harrison Jr. and what he has said about Carnell Tate. And like kind of putting it out there that not only is like Carnell, like the next one in the room, but like Carnell remind Marv of Marv with like the way he went about his work, which is, I I don't, I don't think just a thing that Marvin would say. Like, I think, I think that Marvin in the time that he was here, like struck a pretty good balance of like propping up the guys who deserve to be propped up. And like, without disparaging people, like telling us like, who had some work to do. Um, and Carnell Tate was never in that second group. And now he's stepping up into a starting role, pr- like trying to fill Marv's shoes. I, I would assume that that's where Carnell's going to get to play this spring. And we saw in year two just how ready Marvin was for that, just how ready Emeka Abuka was for that. And I think it's fair to have similar um, expectations of Carnell Tate, even if those are incredibly high expectations are going to be pretty difficult to match. Uh, that's like the nature of the room here. So like, I, I, I need to know that there's someone else in the receiver room aside from Rebecca Abuka, who's like ready for this. Yeah. Um, and I think Carnell Tate, like clearly is the guy most likely to be able to, to step into that spotlight. I wanted to make sure we talked about Carnell Tate because I, I didn't want him to fall in between Emeka Abuka is back he maybe could have been a first rounder in this draft. He has a thousand yard college season. Holy moly, what's he going to do? And Jeremiah Smith is a true freshman and the number one recruit in the country. And in mm-hmm. between that is the guy who might lead this team in receiving. I don't know. Like, is probably sure. going to be their number one outside receiver. Like, what he did, played more than 200 snaps last year. Could he lead this team in receiving, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Sure. Yeah. So, so I, like, I want to see if he looks like he's ready to be a number one receiver. Like, if mm-hmm. I, I was trying to like figure out, I was planning on drafting Carnell. What? How would I express that? And it's just like, 
<clears throat> will he dominate practice? Will he look like a guy who is going to be, because there would be times last year when you, when we'd be able to watch a little bit of like the seven on sevens or 11 on 11s, right? There would be times last spring, last preseason where the offense was getting a little clunky, right? There is like stuff wasn't really working. It was like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, neither McCord nor Brown were necessarily like lighting the place on fire. And then they just have a play where Marvin Harrison Jr. got open by eight yards. And it sort of didn't matter who the quarterback was on that snap. It was like, oh, that's a 35-yard completion. Like, could Carnell Tate do that this spring? That's what I'm super curious about because I think maybe he could to, to what you said. Right. No, I, I think he could too. And I, I think the staff believes he could. Otherwise, he like he was starting in the spring last year. Like when Emeka was out and Marvin was like on a little bit of a pitch count because he's Marvin, Carnell Tate was playing starter reps in the spring and he played – 200 snaps, like in this world of Ohio State receiver play as a true freshman, I think is pretty noteworthy. Um, so the fact that they were willing to give him that kind of workload, I think, tells you what they believe about him. But now you got to take a big step forward. Um, and we all know what that looks like. There's like, that's the thing about what Brian Hartline has done. There's like sort of, there's no hiding, even for people like us watching it who like we're not Brian Hartline and we don't watch it as, or watch it with the same eye that he does. But we've seen enough of, we've seen enough greatness to know what it looks like or to know like when it's coming. Um, and I think there's an opportunity to show that at spring, especially going up against the guys in the secondary, right? Like there's, he's going to be lining up across from some pretty good dudes um, pretty consistently throughout spring practice. So I, I want to see that too. Like, do, do you, do you look like the guys who have come before you and played, played this role in the offense? Okay. That was a good one uh, to talk about Carnell Tate. I'm going to, I'm going to throw, I'm going to tease you a little bit with another one here. This is for you, okay. but it's a true freshman and it's not Jeremiah Smith. And so we did um, top 10 guys to watch in the spring in Northern football on uh, Kings of the North earlier this week. Jeremiah Smith was one of the people there, and we had that conversation. I had We had had a, a, a crazy prediction, you know, predictions a week ago on this show about what might happen. We talked about could Jeremiah Smith break the true freshman receiving record at Ohio State. So Yes, Jeremiah Smith, but we've already talked about Jeremiah Smith a mm-hmm. decent amount. I did do a separate question for the tech subscribers. Rank these early enrolled freshmen in order of your excitement, interest, and expectation level this spring. Jeremiah Smith was first. Defensive lineman Edric Houston was second. Cornerback Aaron Scott was third. Running back James Peoples was fourth. Then Bryce Weiss, uh, Bryce West in the secondary was fifth. And then came the guy that I'm going to bring up here. Sixth for the Texters, and it's Ian Moore on the offensive line. Yeah. And this is why, because I'm curious if Ian Moore looks like a guy who could be ready to start in year two. Back to the conversation we had at the beginning of this show. But when you think about who they could be, who'd they be losing a year from now? Like just the setup. So where Luke Montgomery was a year ago, like, hey, oh my God, I'm I'm not going to fall for it. Ian Moore is not going to start as a true freshman. But can he already begin to separate himself to be like, okay, 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 here we go. He's a high-ranked recruit. He's been like, he seems ready for this. Are you curious to get your eyeballs on him? Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if he can kind of be in the 2D by the time spring ball ends. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I think that'd be a, a tackle. Like if you want to talk about year two, Ian Moore and whether or not he can start, like, I think he could play guard for you. Like if you're looking for a replacement for Donovan Jackson or, or something like that. Um, 
But I do think Ian Ian Moore's tackle long term. I was really impressed with him, like watching him in camp settings last summer because when they initially landed him, I was just like, oh, whatever. Like they got a Midwestern offensive lineman. They're supposed to do that. You know, move on. Let's see if you can't get a bigger fish. Um, But then he like, he looked like a really good, um, like well put together, physically mature offensive lineman last summer. So I'd imagine he looks even better now and is even more equipped physically to, to play now. Um, and I think it ended up being like a pretty important recruit for, for Justin Fry. Like he's, we've talked about it a number of times. Like there aren't a lot of like top hundred ish offensive linemen in Ohio state's geographic footprint. Um, so when they are, you have to get them and that's what Ian Moore is. Um, so yeah, so I'm very interested in him this spring. I, I, I think it'd be great for everybody. And that not necessarily like an indictment of who has been recruited ahead of him if Ian Moore is like firmly in the two deep after spring yeah. practice. Cause I kinda I kind of think that's the path that a guy like that should be on, very similar to the path that Luke Montgomery appears to be on. Yeah. I, I could see that. That that when they come out and line up for the opener, he's at one of the tackle spots in the two deep. But yet, that doesn't mean that if they needed somebody to tackle, because if Fryer's inside, but something mm-hmm. happened, you know, there's an alien abduction of the starting right tackle, Fryer would kick out. So it's one of those things where you're not necessarily yeah. next man up, but you're getting second team reps as a true freshman. So it's just an early look at progress. So I, I, I'm glad we're both curious about Ian Moore. All right, pick seven to you. Okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off the board a little bit here too. I think because maybe we can save the the big conversation for the last two picks. Um, I'm going to take Caden McDonald at defensive tackle. I don't know if he's a name that came up at all with the tech subscribers, but he, he's a guy who I found myself very interested in since like the middle of last year, when we started to hear a little bit about him kind of showing up in practice. And I was an alert at the time for that to equate to some kind of playing time. It it didn't, it didn't really played a, a couple of snaps, I think, Maybe in a Wisconsin game, like or, or toward like the Minnesota Michigan State around that time, but nothing, nothing substantial. But he is uh, like a different body type than we're accustomed to seeing from Ohio State defensive tackles, like a little on the shorter side, a, a bigger guy, three well over three hundred pounds, but moves incredibly well to the point where they put him on offense in the Cotton Bowl. They put him like at fullback in the Cotton Bowl, and he actually made what, what I thought were a couple of of nice blocks that showed off his athleticism. And I, I think, you know, it's not the most important um, story of spring, but it is an important story of spring is who is going to emerge as like the third and fourth defensive tackle because Tyleek Williams and Ty Hamilton cannot play every single defensive tackle snap for this team. They need they need more than that. You know, I think five makes you really comfortable, but you certainly need three or four. And I don't know if it's obvious who number three is. Maybe it's Hero Canoe if you just want to go based off pure pure snap counts, but I think it could be Caden McDonald. I think there's actually like a really interesting competition between some young defensive tackles in this program who have not played a whole lot. Caden McDonald, Hero Canoe, um, Jason Morey, probably throw Tywon Malone into that mix, even though he's not, you know, he's a transfer who's a little older than those guys. Um, but they need somebody to show that they can play there. And and I think like the athletic profile of a, of a kid like Caden McDonald um, could could be something worth keeping an eye on as he goes into like his second year of college football now, like kind of understands the way of the world. and can just kind of like go out there and play football. I, I think he might show up a little bit. 
Okay. That's a good one. Taiwan Malone might have been, he was in for spring last year, right? As a transfer? Uh, can't, no, I don't think so. No. Okay. That That's just one of those that like he, people were, you know, there's a lot of talk about Taiwan Malone when he got here and then he barely played. So like, again, sometimes. Yeah. He transferred in May. Okay. Um, maybe, you know, not a bad idea. I mean, that was the guy who was a big time recruit, went to Ole Miss, wanted to play baseball, highest, and then wound up here. It was like, aha, planting the seeds and then making, you know, grabbing the plant, whatever it is, grabbing the plant in the uh, portal after the fact. And then, like, it just it did not have, he did not have an effect on the season last year. Maybe he will this year, but it's, it's worth keeping in mind that they need, they need third and fourth defensive tackles. So that's a good one. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to do the other thing now with my okay. pick number eight. So let's talk about the quarterbacks, not Will Howard. Let's talk about Julian Sand and Aaron Noland. I, I will say, I will interrupt myself briefly with this idea. Steve T said, I'm most interested this spring to see what Will Howard looks like, both throwing and running. To me, the only two questions for this season are quarterback and the offensive line. I see a national title if Howard is good and the offensive line is at least functional. Like, are we, sh- should we have? The stinking quarterback, the starting quarterback of this team on the list, the dude, our guy, the dude said, for me, this spring is mostly about quarterbacks. I feel like Ohio State may have been a quarterback away from a national championship last year. Should we be wondering and more curious about Will Howard? Yeah, probably. I I think, I think we, I think part of the reason we're not is because we take it for granted that he's going to be the starting quarterback, right? So it's, it's almost like, it doesn't matter what he looks like this spring. And I'm, I'm not, that, that's not the reality. It does matter what he looks like this spring, but I, I think it gets overlooked because of the just like presumed nature of, of his, you know, starting what once the fall rolls around, but I'm interested to watch Will Howard throw the ball. Cause there were definitely times in the spring last year with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. You're like, Oh, don't know about the quarterback play right now. And I think we attributed a lot of that to like the offensive line working through stuff. But then I think once the season started, it was like, no, it's, Part of that was the quarterbacks not, not being particularly good. Um, so we need to see, I think, something more than that, certainly, from from Will Howard this spring, I think, to make us feel good about where this is going. Can, can I also just, like, would we consider Will Howard and Devin Brown a quarterback battle? Like, are we? Like, is, is... So, so uh, a peek behind the, uh, the, the production curtain here. Friday's podcast daily is our last spring position preview when we talk we talk about the quarterbacks. And I like in the middle I just asked the question like what is this? Cuz I don't like is it a competition is Will Howard just a starter and it's like a competition between Devin Brown and Lincoln Keenholz to be his backup? I I, I don't know. Right right we Ryan Days on it been asked that question, right? Like we just assume cuz they got a transfer quarterback that like that guy's going to be the starter. Yeah. But it's not like you know they didn't go out and get the best available transfer quarterback who like, yeah, you know, was laid in the world on fire the last two years. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not operating that way, but his leg fell off in the first play of the bowl game when like he was finally getting his chance. And also when he kind of had a chance in the middle of the year, his leg fell off then too. Cause he got hurt on a right on a goal line play against Penn mm-hmm. state or whatever. It's like, I, he never, Devin Brown never, Brown never really, like he almost won the job last preseason. And then he never really got a chance. And now it's like, well, that's it. 
can't, I mean, how can he, how can he compete with the Kansas state guys from Kansas state? So I don't know. Maybe we're completely, <laughs> I, I think it's at least worth putting out there, right? Like it's okay. not, there was a time. I think there have been times during Devin Brown's career here. That's not been particularly long where Ryan day has looked at him and thought like, you like, if, like if this or this gets better, like that guy can start here. Yeah. And he's still okay. here. <laughs> he's still here. He's still here. So, and Ryan Day is not going to not going to exactly answer it. We're just going to have to see. Now, they have to get Will Howard acclimated to this offense. And by the yeah. way, they have Chip Kelly in here. Like, there's a decent number of moving parts. So, Will Howard needs first team reps. If when we are there, Devin Brown is getting some chunk of first team reps, it's then it's a, then it's a competition That's because, competition. Yeah. like every Will Howard needs every rep. So if you're giving those reps to somebody else, it's for a reason. It's because you still think that guy could be the starter. But let's talk about the other guys. Okay. Do you believe the 2025 quarterback battle begins this spring between true freshman Julian Sayan and Air Noland? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I asked our tech subscribers a bunch of questions about this because I love quarterbacks. Everybody does. How eager are you to get a first look at the freshman quarterbacks? On a scale of 1 to 10, it's an 8.31. So that's like super excited, right? If you're above a 7 on stuff, that's people being very excited. Do mm. you believe one of these two guys, Julian Sayan or Aaron Nolan, will be Ohio State starting quarterback in 2025? What do you? What percent do you think said yes, Landis? So one of them will be the starting quarterback? In 2025, yeah. Yeah. 90? 89%, yeah. yeah. Uh, in your mind, does the the battle between those two begin this spring? Yes, 85% say yes, like it's underway. And then early forecast, who's Ohio State starting quarterback in 2025? 71% Julian saying, 24% Aaron Nolan, 5% other. Okay, so the tech subscribers agree with us that the battle begins here. And Ohio State in recent history has kind of had, I mean, I guess this is how it works. You kind of have a battle, either it's at the front or it's back further in the line. 2017, there really was like you knew JT Barrett was going to be the starter in the fall of 2017 in his final year, but the Dwayne Haskins Joe Burrow battle they both like had big spring games in 2017. Yep. That backup battle was percolating. 2018 it was the full blown fight for the job between Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow. And by the way, Tate Martell was kind of messing around in there too. 2019 in the spring it was the debut of Justin Fields. Matt Baldwin was still around, but that was more about getting your eyeballs on Fields, who everybody was knew was going to be the starter. Um, 2020 Fields was back, but there was there was no spring game, so nobody got to see the final thing. 2021, it's a battle, right? Who's going to replace Justin Fields? It's C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, and Kyle McCord. Even if you kind of thought it was C.J., there was a battle going on. 2022, C.J. Stroud's back as the starter, but it's the battle behind them, right, to kind of see what what's next up with Devin Brown and Kyle McCord. And then last year, it's a it's a battle but to, to, to start between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. Devin Brown gets hurt the last week of practice, doesn't play in the spring game, but it was clearly a battle all spring. And so now it's not a starting battle, but it's a backup battle. We do believe it starts here. What can they take away from this? What, what do you believe can be learned from the first practice reps of true freshman quarterbacks who are this highly rated? I, I the thing that makes this difficult for me is it's hard. Like we just had the conversation about like what, what is happening ahead of them? Because I don't think there's a world where you can get all five of these guys 
work that tells you something meaningful, right? Like okay. I, I just that that seems borderline impossible. And it's it's Will Howard and Stephen Brown. I'm like it's it's Lincoln Keenholz. I think is going to get perhaps some first team reps too. Like I I don't know. I don't know how that's going to shake out. So like if that's the case, then what's left for Julian Sane and Aaron Olin? I, I don't I don't exactly know. Um, so it could be like less about what we see on the field and more about like how they handle their business off of it, how they prepare um, the stuff they do in meetings, like a lot of stuff that we don't see, um, unfortunately, but we're going to hyper analyze. I think a little bit that we do see, unfortunately for the, these pair of guys, I, I suppose, but um, I don't know. I, I think like this early in their careers, I, if we get to watch them in practice, I'm, I'm more just looking at like, how they throw the ball like does it does it look like an ohio state quarterback should look like when he's throwing the ball like accuracy touch anticipation all that kind of stuff more so than like am i getting a feel for whether or not this guy can run the offense because i just i don't know how many opportunities are actually going to get to show that in such a crowded quarterback room i think it'll be one of those where when one of them is the starting quarterback in 2025 people are then going to say, oh, you know, last year, right away as a true freshman, he really was, you know what I mean? Yeah. Killing it in the film room or really was connecting with his teammates or did a great job running the scout team or whatever. They're not going to say it now. But then after the fact, people will admit that what happened this spring and during the freshman year in 2024 did matter in the eventual choice of the winner, because the winner mm -hmm. will have done something right during the course of this. So that's how this works. But again, if we were saying, Hey, who do you want to watch? And it's like, I'm got, I've got eyes on air Noland and Julian saying, wherever they go, how do people talk to them? What does it look like when chip Kelly whispers in their ears? How are they talking to their receivers off to the side while they're waiting for their chance to throw? And if they get seven throws in the course of a practice, what do they look like? We'd be ravenous yeah. sure. to get that opportunity to see that stuff. Yeah. I'm going I'm, I'm to try to, to, to keep my eyes on them wherever they go as much as we can. No, no, um, no. I, I get to because I picked them. You don't get to watch Oh, them. you got both of them? Yeah, so. Okay. All right. I took I'll just watch, yeah. I'll watch the other. You're going to be down at the list. offensive lineman the whole time. They, they put the offensive line in the spot that's like impossible for us to watch them. It's the thing I hate most about going to Ohio State practice. It's like they're intentionally sabotaging me. Yeah. By sticking and they the put, offensive line in the corner. They always put the defensive lineman like right in the middle where we can, like not in the middle, but like right up front where we yeah. can get eyeballs. You can, you can jump into a drill with Larry Johnson if you want to. We're yeah, so close to that. Care. Larry yeah. Johnson is very confident. <laughs> He's like, you can watch anything. I don't care. Okay. So here's what we've done so far. The picks, Luke Montgomery, Tegra Shibola, CJ Hicks, Sonny Styles. They were the first four picks, but we really talked about them in two groups of two there. Carnell Tate, Ian Moore, Caden McDonald, the quarterbacks as a combo with pick number eight. Your last pick at number nine, Landis, who do you want to focus on? Uh, hmm, I'll go. I'm, can I go back to receiver and take Brandon Ennis? Can I, yeah, can yeah. I do that? <clears throat> um, I think there's, there's an interesting conversation that's going to have to start to take shape this spring about like what exactly Emeka Ibuka is going to do in terms of like, is he going to play in the slot? Is he going to play outside? Is there going to be some kind of balance between that? Because I, I think Brandon Ennis is ready to help this offense, but I don't think he is a candidate to play outside a ton. Um, I think he is just like build skill set is, is 
more hemmed into being a, a slot receiver maybe than, than some of the other guys we've seen that have some flexibility between between the spots. Um, but but I think they're going to want to find ways to get him onto the field. And I, th- I think like Chip Kelly's arrival even like maybe like uh, enhances the opportunities for Brandon Ennis a little because he is a guy who I think has some like ball carrying skills and we know that Chip likes to get creative. I think Brandon Ennis for being like a uh, he's not a small guy, he's six feet tall, but a smaller receiver compared to the other guys in that room is a pretty good blocker. And chips like likes to use his receivers as, as blockers um, in kind of creative ways too. So I think there's an opportunity to like really develop some fun ideas around Brandon Ennis's skill set. Um, <clears throat> but I'm wondering about like the opportunities to actually get on the field. If we just assume that Emeka Buka is going to keep playing like 75% of his snaps in the slot. I, I, I don't think that Emeka will, and that will open up opportunities for, for Brandon Innes. Um, so I'm excited to watch him play, how they use him. And I guess I'm excited to see if they want to use him in the kick return game. I know we get excited about like young skill guys doing that all the time, and then they never actually use them there. But like, are they more likely to do that because now Ryan Day has more of a hand in special teams play than he had previously? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe one doesn't have anything to do with the other. But I think Brandon Innes could be like an awesome return guy too if they decided to put him there. So there are a couple of different ways I think that he can help them, and I think he's ready to do it uh, as a sophomore as long as the the openings are there to get him on the field. So when I did ask our tech subscribers about anybody who it's not a true freshman who didn't play at least two hundred snaps last year, uh, I gave eleven names. This was the order of those names in their vote. So they they wanted to, they were most interested in C.J. Hicks, then Luke Montgomery, Jelani Thurman, a tight end that again we talked about on the show last week because you predicted he'll play at least four hundred snaps this year. He was third. Brandon Innes was fourth, mm-hmm. then defensive end Kenyatta Jackson, cornerback Jermaine Matthews, defensive end Caden Curry, defensive tackle Hero Canoe. Then Tegra Shabola, then running back Dallin Hayden, then cornerback Calvin Simpson Hunt. Those were all the returning guys, fewer than 200 snaps that I gave them. I'm not going to pick any of them. I'm going to go off the board for my last pick. Is there anybody else in there you want to talk about? I will say someone nominated Kenyatta Jackson and said, um, Kenyatta Jackson is in a make-or-break position, and that's our, our guy, uh, Varen suggested that I was so excited about Kenyatta Jackson last spring and loved what I saw from him in the spring. And then he didn't play at all. And so like I, my heart was broken. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know what to think in a world where Jack Sawyer and JT Tui Marlowow both stuck around. I don't know. Is there, is there something about Kenyatta Jackson you're curious about? I'm not going to pick him because I felt like I got burnt when I picked him before, but again, the difference between year three and year two might be a lot. I'm just curious about rotation at defensive end, sort of generally, and because yeah. I think Jack and JT played too much last year. Okay. Um, so, and I don't, I don't know that they played as much as they played because there was some belief that Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry weren't ready. I just think that there was like an overcorrection to rotating too much the year before um, to then just playing your top two defensive ends all the time. Um, but I don't, I don't know that like Kenyatta had, like when he's played that he's been underwhelming. Um, I just think he needs to play more. So I'm hoping yeah. that they they rotate a little more, give him the opportunity to do that. Okay. Anyone else on there? Hero Canoe, I thought maybe you'd bring up. But I, but yeah, Hero Canoe. Yeah, yeah. Hero Canoe was was one that I, I just kind of chose to pick Katie McDonald as a stand-in there. Um Jelani is one, but we've talked about him so much that I didn't want to pick up and like like rehash yeah. that conversation. Yeah. Okay. So I am gonna go off the board uh with a guy that we have seen uh 
a lot from. But I'm curious if there's something this spring that could show us that there's maybe he's ready for a jump. And it's the guy who actually led the defense in snaps last year. It's Davis and Egbignosen. And here's why I'm curious about him. He had the best tackle rate on the defense last year, according to PFF. He only missed like 5% of his tackles. He made 54 tackles, which is like twice as many as Denzel Burke. It's just like what he did, what he was asked to do, right? Off coverage, the guy makes a catch, and then Davis and Ibnosum brings him down right away. Did not have many pass breakups, right? Did not, was just kind of was more known for his tackling than his knocking balls down. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, yep. He's 6'2". He's got length. I think he's got like the right attitude for a corner. He came here. You know, he played in the SEC as a true freshman. He showed up here and won a job right away. Like was no doubt about it, ready to go. And I kind of am wondering if maybe this spring could be the beginning of people going like, do you think Davis and Ignosin might be like a top 15 pick in the NFL draft one day? <laughs> He's 6'2", he's long, he's physical, and now maybe if it's like, oh, how did things look? They were running some seven-on-sevens. What happened is like uh, Davis and Egbignosin completely wiped out his side of the field and nobody could get open against him. Like I'm wondering if that might be out there for this guy who, again, led the defense in snaps last year for Ohio State. I I think it's a great pick. I'm I'm interested in what his spring looks like as well because I I think for – like he's not going to get, I think, the veteran treatment that Denzel Burke is going to get. Yeah, I'm not expecting to see a whole lot of Denzel Burke this this spring, and like in competitive scrimmage situations, like they'll do individual drills and stuff. Um, but I think for as good as Davis Nigbudosan was last year, and I think he was pretty pretty freaking good. Um, he did lead the defense in penalties. Um, he, I I think needs to take some steps in like man coverage ability, mm-hmm. like, like get a little bit more of that like ball production that you're talking about, pass deflections, ints. And I've said this before, like my plan for Davis and Igbenosin would just be like go 15 practices of press man coverage and, and like do nothing else. Because we know you can play off. We know you can tackle. Uh, we know you're a physical player. But I think like that's the next step in his evolution to become the guy that you're talking about. Because I, I think he has a pretty high ceiling too, is just to be able to, sh- to show that he can do what Denzel Burke did last year, which is like play in someone's face without fouling, without get- getting called for penalties. And, and shut down his side of the field that way, too. Yeah. Okay, those are our 10 picks. Again, Bill started with Luke Montgomery. I went with Tegra Shibola. Bill, CJ Hicks. I said Sonny Styles. Bill picked Carnell Tate. I said Ian Moore, the true freshman offensive lineman. Bill picked defensive tackle Caden McDonald. I went with the young quarterbacks, Julian Sand and Aaron Noland. Bill picked uh, second-year receiver Brandon Ennis. And I said third-year corner Davison Igbignoso. When we come back, we'll wrap up a little bit of what Texters had to say, we'll talk about some spring stars of the past. And of course, we got what you're watching, what you eat, and what you think and coming later. We'll do all that next on Kings of Columbus. All right. So wrapping up sort of the spring discussion here before we move on to what you um, I thought Tony K sent in a good one. He said there's a top five for the spring in his estimation that really matter, like trying to find guys out. And there's a lot of guys we talked about. It's Luke Montgomery and Tegra Shibola. It's CJ Hicks. It's Brandon Ennis and it's Jelani Thurman. So like that is like a pretty interesting group of young guys on the rise who haven't done a, a ton yet. So I thought, I, I thought Tony kind of, kind of nailed it with that. Um, there is, do you think it more, it, 
happens more often that the spring reveals guys who are really going to be eventual stars at Ohio State? Or can is spring more often like fluky in your mind that it's like, hey, a guy got an opportunity, maybe because they were resting guys or guys were hurt and looked like, holy moly. And then it just turned out like ah, I was kind of only in spring. I think the spring game is fluky, but spring practice is not. I think spring oh. practice is real. That's well said. And it's hard to distinguish sometimes because for the fans, spring practice is the spring game. Right. You know, other than what like. Okay, we got to watch a couple practices and talked about it on a YouTube show or a podcast. Um, Bam Childress, right, is the thing that everybody brings up all the time. 2003 spring game, more than 100 receiving yards. This is one of those where in a world where everybody like names awards for people, uh, the Bam Childress spring game player, um, most valuable player award would be a thing. So like, you know, we we ask people like, who who are some of your favorite um, spring game stars of the past? And Jeffy P., said it wouldn't be spring without Bam Childress. So like people remember yeah. that. Someone brought up uh, T.Y. Williams, who is, uh, this is from Drew. Drew L. said T.Y. Williams, who in the 2011 spring game caught a 68-yard touchdown pass from Taylor Graham. My God, bringing it back. <laughs> T.Y. Williams, he was just tall. And so all people did for three years was talk about how he's going to be a target in the red zone because that's all people can do when you have a tall receiver. And yeah. Taylor Graham was Kent Graham's kid. And it was like, oh, my God, Kent Graham to T.Y. Williams, watch out. That's like <laughs> that's like C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba just a decade earlier. Uh, didn't exactly uh, work out that way. Um, someone did bring up uh, our our guy, uh, Tathan. Um Zach brought that up. Tathan Martell, baby, as a spring game. Can you remember being excited by springs of Tate Martell? No, I can't. Because whenever I think of Tate, I automatically think of 10 for 10 against Rutgers. Okay. And like that, and then like that blocks out everything else. So I can't recall a spring game moment from young Tathan, but I'm sure he had though. He was the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. Yeah. Uh someone Derek brought up Joe Burrow, and it was it was good. The one that really sticks out to me is Joe Burrow. At the time, it seemed like Dwayne Haskins was the next man up. But after watching the spring game, I remember texting family members saying it's going to be much closer than you think. That is a gunslinger. He might actually be the next up. And I think Derek is referencing the 2017 spring game where both Haskins and Burrow threw for like more than 250 yards and kind of went nuts in the backup thing. Again, like you knew JT Barrett was going to be the starter in 2017. Then in 2018, we had the full-blown battle. Like it's it's the job is here to be won in the spring more than the spring game, but you really got to look like that 17 spring game. Like both those guys let it rip. It's, I mean, it's funny to think about, um, at Cleveland.com, we did, we did rewatches and we did a rewatch of the 2018 spring game. Uh, yeah. it was actually, I think after the, the tragic death of Dwayne Haskins to kind of remember that moment, that game was like so huge, but it's a reminder that 2017 was even a preview. It's like a pre spring game to the spring game. Um, cause that was really, those spring games were kind of the moments that Joe Burrow had, right? Yeah. Cause he never really got an actual moment in Ohio stadium. He got two pretty darn good spring game moments, two very good spring games. I remember after the 2018 game. Because we all kind of knew where it was going. We, I think we all assumed because Dwayne had didn't, done what he did the previous year against Michigan that he was going to be the guy. Um, and we recorded our post-game spring podcast sitting on the concourse on a deck in folding chairs. And I remember like being sad about Joe Burrow leaving after watching him play that 2018 spring game. And you like 
you calling out the look that I had on my like the the look of sadness that I had on my face as I like stared off longingly into the distance, realizing that was probably the last time we were going to see Joe Burrow do anything for Ohio State. Yeah. Oh, you love Joe. Whatever <laughs> happened to that guy? Um, let's see. One more. Uh, another name that came up from actually two different people. Avery brought this up, and so did someone else. One of the stars of spring football that I remember recently was Kai Stokes in 2022. Yes. His performance in the spring game got me so excited for the future of our safety room, especially because Sonny Styles was coming. It stinks to see a guy like that enter the transfer portal um, when he was one year away from starting. Kai Stokes, like he's like on weight room Instagram posts from Cincinnati now, right? But like I st- Kai Stokes still might wind up being like a really good college football player. That was, yeah, he had an incredible spring game. We were all talking about it. We all thought, like, is this guy going to push the start as a true freshman? And then just never really carried over. I I don't know why. It's kind of bizarre that it didn't. um, But, yeah, I still think he has a shot to be pretty good at Cincinnati, too. So, um, again, the spring game is a a long way off, April 13th. But spring practice starts on Tuesday. And we are expecting, Bill Wright, to have a decent amount of availability next week with coaches and hopefully some players and like we're really hopefully get some eyeballs on some stuff like just so everybody knows like it's here and again on the podcast daily you and and austin and berm have been previewing every position group but like it's it the preview season is almost over we're ready to watch some ohio state football again starting next week yeah i think we'll i think the plan at the moment is to do something on like talk to people like on monday probably just talking right day on monday like before spring practice starts which i always think is good to like get a little bit of lay of the land of like who's practicing, who's not before you actually go out there on Tuesday and like, like, Oh, this guy's standing off to the side with his helmet off. Um, And then I don't know if I, I I can't remember if we got to watch all of the first spring practice last year, but we did end up watching, I think like four or five full practices, including the spring game. And I do believe that that is the plan to get similar eyeballs on practice this, this spring. So we should uh, have a lot to talk about. Uh, I, before we leave this topic, I want to shout out uh, Joseph in Atlanta, um, Demario, the hero, the legend, Demario McCall. I was wondering if anyone brought him up. Yeah, the spring, spring legend. Um, okay, let's do what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking. We like to just uh, take a little break after uh, stressful discussions about how they're going to get CJ Hicks and Sonny <laughs> Styles on the field at the same time. I'm going to be like waking up in cold sweats for the next week trying to think about this. So this chill, what you watching lately, Landis? Uh, so I actually rewatched last night um, Dune because I want to see the second one comes out this oh. Friday. Dune part two comes out on Friday. And like I had watched the first one on HBO Max or something like whenever it first came out. And I remember like liking it, but not loving it and like being a little confused by it. So like I wanted to watch it again and like actually pay attention or pay more attention than I paid last time. And it was like a reminder, like it's pretty good. Um, but also like more, it's a good like film. Like it's well acted, whatever. Like it's interesting. It is among the more visually striking movies. Mm. I think I've seen like with their use of digital graphics and like the way that they created some of those worlds that, that they're in, like it's pretty wild looking. Um, and it just has me very excited to see the second one. Um, because apparently it's like way better than the first one. And I thought the first one was pretty good. So um, I wanted to refresh my memory on everything going on there before I went and saw the sequel. About a sand wizard. What's doing about what's the guy do? 
See yeah, it's like a sand lizard. Yeah, uh, sand lizard? I mean, it's like uh, it's like Star Wars, but better. But like Star Wars, but <laughs> only the part where they're throwing people in the sand pit. Like all that, it's all sand. Is it all sand? It takes well the first one anyway. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I didn't read the book or books. I'm assuming there's more than one. Um, so I don't know exactly what happens after the first movie. But the first movie does take place on a sand planet. Yes. On a sand planet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I've never seen. I didn't see. I've never seen any dunes. Never read dunes. Never watched dunes. And now I feel left out. You, I should watch it. You would recommend I watch it. I would. Yeah. Okay. Here's what I watched. I can't, I don't understand how Hollywood works sometimes. So I watched a movie on Hulu called Maggie Moore. Yeah. And it stars John Hamm and Tina Fey, which to me is just like, I don't, are they the two biggest stars on the planet? It's Don Draper and Liz Lemon. How can you get bigger than that? This should be a gigantic movie. It's John Hamm and Tina Fey. It's like, forget Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya, these are the two most important actors in the world. Like to my 50 year old brain, that's how that works. This movie was produced by Chicken Soup for the Soul, like produced mm. a movie. Like when they're not making chicken soup for the cat sitter's soul, they are making a movie. And it was also produced by Redbox, which is like the people who bring you DVDs in the grocery store also produced a movie. I have no idea. How this got made into a movie, it feels simultaneously like it should be a much bigger, like gigantic movie because, again, it's Don Draper and Liz Lemon. And also it feels like something that like middle schoolers made in their backyard. It is so violent. It is so strange. There's a Ted Lasso guy in it. It's it's two famous people. The guy from Ted Lasso, who was like the nice soccer manager, then became a mean soccer manager. And then... 50 people you've never heard of before. There's a guy whose first name is Happy. His name is Happy, who's in the movie. Like the actor's name, not the character's name. It is ridiculous. And I'm so confused about what constitutes a movie these days because John Hamm didn't have anything better to do than do this movie. I think it must have been like a nine-day shoot. It is... It's simultaneously... Much worse and much better than it has any right to be. And I just cannot believe it exists. And it's just like sitting there on Hulu with Tina Fey and John Hamm's big faces on the thing to like make you click on it. And it worked for me. And my, my wife and I were watching. We were like, are we entertained? What is this? Why is this happening? There's like a, they bring in Nazis as like a plot device for like 11 seconds. And it's like, actually, I think if you're bringing in Nazis, you should take this a little more seriously. It's crazy how are movies made? It's got a fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so that sounds that's that exactly right. Up. Yeah, <laughs> how are movies made? It makes me think like I could probably, if I wrote a script in my notebook right now, I think I could call John Hamm and he'd be like, "Yeah, I'll do that." Do you I know who directed that movie? Uh, yeah, it's the I other do. guy, I the do. other guy from Mad Men. The other guy from what? From Mad Men, John Slattery. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, right, right, right. Yeah, John Slattery. Oh yeah, John Slattery right. got him to do it like the whole time. Right when they were like, yeah, they were like in the Nazis' basement. My wife and I were like, oh, that's a great shot, Slattery. It's like, what <laughs> is this movie? So I don't know. I don't know if I recommend it or not recommend it. I just want to ask people in Hollywood, like, what is this? 
Did John Hamm get paid $30 million to do this because they were like, we've got to get someone famous to be in it? Or did he get paid minimum wage because he had nothing else going on? I cannot figure it out how it came into the world. Okay, sorry. That was too long on that. Maggie Moore. Should I watch it? I don't. It's like one of these things. Sometimes I want people to see things so then I can have a conversation with people about it. It's not for your enjoyment. It's for I can be like, am I crazy? I made Berm. I was begging Berm to watch American fiction because I want to talk to somebody about the ending of that movie. And so it's like, I don't know. I'm not saying to see it because it's good or bad. It's just because I want to talk about it. Mm. So, yeah, watch it, please. Okay. Do you have Hulu? Uh, Yeah. Uh, We have everything. Okay. All right. What are you eating? Uh, there's a place, uh, I, it's a local, it's a local place, but I don't think they have an actual store. It's called the crazy cucumber. They make pickles. Um, and we most often encounter them at the Worthington farmer's market, which we go Mm. to like fairly regularly once the weather is nice and it's outside, but we were at the home show, um, in Columbus last weekend and they were also there for some reason. And they had a new flavor of uh, pickle, or at least new to me. Maybe they've had it before, but I've never tried it from them before. And it was a spicy bread and butter pickle, ooh, which was which was a real treat. It was great. I'm a, I, I like I like a pickle. I like it as a snack. I'll put it on a sandwich, um, and like I just go there and like get a tub of like uh, what do you call them? Like little pickle like medallions are cut. They're cut into, and I just like you know I'll sit there and eat ten of them as a snack. Um, nice. And I like that they have like uh, I like the horseradish. They have like a spicy garlic. I usually go for the spicier ones, but the spicy bread and butter was was really um, fantastic. And I, if you're a person uh, who likes spice uh, and who likes pickles, uh, go check out the uh, the crazy cucumber wherever they're they're setting up near you and pick yourself up a container of some spicy bread and butters. First of all, shouldn't pickles just be called crazy cucumbers? Wouldn't that be just That's what they general? are? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. Can you get a jar of crazy cucumbers at the store? I think that would help the pickle. Oh, pickle's a good word anyway. Um, I was in a... Why do you think it... that cucumber got pickle? Because you can pickle things other than a cucumber, but it's always like, oh, I had pickled carrots or pickled radishes, right. but you don't say I had pickled cucumbers. Right. I don't know. That's true. Because pickling is a process, and yeah. it became a noun. It became a thing. A process became a thing. Right. The, the cucumber must absorb things better than the other vegetables yeah so it took the the crown it took the title of the process as the name um good for them it tastes the pickle is on bread and butter or the flavor is bread and butter spicy the bread flavor and butter. is bread and butter which is just like a how can it's you like make a, a pickle taste like bread you never had bread and butter pickles what does that mean it tastes it's like just bread. flavor no it's it tastes mostly like it's like a it, there's there's like a buttery flavor in there, but it's mostly just like okay. sweet. It's I like feel like sweet. they're tricking just, you, but by the name bread. I mean, if they, if they put the name, the word bread in the title of something, you're going to eat it no matter what it is. Yeah, that's true. But I, I, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a sweet pickle. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter and I went to, to a Renaissance fair a couple of years ago, and they were like, there's a guy walking around like selling pickles as we watched the jousting. And it made oh, me yeah. think like, man, I could have lived in the 1500s. You just watch jousting and eat pickles. What's better than pickle this? on a stick? Did they put it on a pickle stick? On a stick yeah. Yeah. All right. So I was at a Mexican restaurant and I got, when you go to the Mexican restaurant, I love getting the combo, right? Where you just, you can pick two or three things and you just piece it together. And I just thought like, that's just, it's just, you know, you don't have to decide between a taco or an enchilada or a taquito or a, I always like the chili relena with the stuffed pepper, right? I mean, you get one of everything and you just make your own combo. And why don't they have that at American restaurants? Can you imagine if you could go somewhere and it's like, I got the American combo. Give me one hot dog, one hamburger and one oh, chicken yeah. finger. Do they have that? 
Uh, that is like kind of the conceit of cookout fast food, oh, it is? but we don't, we, but we don't have those up here. Like oh, I go to, I go to combo? cookout, I go to cookout and I get like a cheeseburger, a, a bacon wrap, which is just like a tortilla with bacon and lettuce, tomato and mayonnaise. And then like, uh, hush puppies. And then like, I wash it down with a milkshake. Oh, but that's okay. like, that's like what cookout is, is like you build, you build a tray of different menu items, but it doesn't oh, have to be like a burger and fries. It can be like a burger, a chicken sandwich, and a cheek cheese quesadilla if you want. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Well, they did it then. Congratulations to them, but they're yeah. in the South, huh? The Not closest the one I think is Kentucky. Yeah. Okay. We can't talk about them. Dang it. Yeah. We need a Northern version of cookout for the American combo. Okay. I'll make a note. We'll start a franchise. Uh, what are you thinking? I'm thinking about um, the uh, fanatics and how terrible they are. Um, you've seen like the baseball uniforms that you can uh, see through, right? Yeah, they're 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 like in charge of that, and they're like monopolizing the like the sports apparel world, which they've always been terrible at, and now they're ruining professional sports uniforms with Major League Baseball, and I think they get hockey starting next year, um, so they're going to ruin those too, and they're also monopolizing, and this maybe is something that I don't care about. There are a lot of people that collect trading cards. I'm not the only one, but they, they, they own like that business now too. They purchased tops last year or two years ago. So they make all those products themselves. They got the licenses for like the NBA and NFL, where they're going to be the only people like making licensed cards for those sports um, in the coming years. I think like wrestling too, they're going to make a lot of soccer stuff and they're just not good at it. And they, they ruined um, the most, like the first baseball release of the year. 2024 top series one baseball cards they tried to do this thing where like the first card off the press for each individual card they were going to stamp it to say like this is the first card of this player to increase the value of that card and then they like forgot to put the stamps on half the cards so like not all of them not all of the ellie de la cruz rookie card that should be stamped as like a one of one first card off the press they forgot to put the stamp on it Wow. So like they're just terrible. And like it bothers me so much that they are this giant corporate entity that is taking over like these two pretty important like pillars of like what it is to be a sports fan, like trading cards and and your like your team apparel, and they yeah. just utterly ruin them. Like they're just so bad at it. And they cut corners because they can get away with it because they don't have any competition. Um and it's sad to me that they're doing it. And uh I don't like it and I think they suck and I want to say that out loud. I always think about sometimes it's like something happened that it could just be like one person. It's like that the, yeah. the person in that job is like everybody in the company is like, Oh God, Steve, God, I hope he doesn't. <laughs> and then it's like, Steve's like, Oh, I forgot this. And it's like, I, knew I forgot to make the that. pants not see-through. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, see-through pants. Like I was saying, it's like college football. Everyone's like, oh, college football. They're trying to like figure out the evolution of the entire sport and a and a payment model to fairly compensate these athletes who have never been fairly compensated. And like, of course, it's going to happen, but it's very complicated. And there's a lot going on. And everyone's like, oh, like college football. And then it's like baseball's like everybody can see our dongs. It's like, okay. <laughs> Could be worse, college football. <laughs> That's a compelling sales pitch for Major League Baseball. Yeah. They try to bring in more fans. So I was, uh, I, I have reached the point now with Whatcha where as I'm living my life, things are happening to me and I might think to myself like, oh, that'll be a good Whatcha. So mm-hmm. I was driving and I didn't have my phone plugged in 
uh, to the radio. So I was just like listening to the radio. I never listened to the radio. And I was just like flipping through the radio trying to find a song. Right. And I haven't, I literally have not done that in years. And I was just thinking to myself, man, let's talk about how crazy it used to be. Like when you were driving around and just be like, okay, there's 14 radio stations. I hope one of them is playing a song I like, or I hope they're not all a commercial. Or I hope I don't catch it right in the last 10 seconds of a song. And I was thinking, man, what a miserable experience it was to live in a world where when you were driving around, you were at the, you were at the whim of a DJ of a record label of like, oh, they're playing this song. Right. And you had mm -hmm. no real choice and how much we have it so much better. Now you can completely control your phone. You listen to whatever you want to listen to. Flipping is horrible. And then I was flipping and I flipped and it was Motown Philly. And I was like, oh man, I oh, love flipping. Yeah. And yeah. Then I was like, great. I miss flipping. Like what's, so like just that idea, right? I mean, I, this is this is the whole evolution of our, my generation at least of like you went from a flipping world where you bought a newspaper and you went through it's like oh I want to read the sports section but there's a headline and something else that maybe I'll read that story or you're flipping through TV you're flipping through the radio we used to flip and accidentally find things now you don't ever accidentally find anything because everything is curated to your particular taste whether it's a website or a podcast or a streaming service and the show exactly the exact thing that you want. And then I just, I, I flipped the Motown Philly and it made me long for the days of yore. Yeah. I guess the closest thing we have to that now is like algorithmic stuff where like suggest things you haven't seen based off what you like. Mm. And like I've discovered some, I've discovered some things that way, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. yeah. There's something about the journey of the, of discovery that, that makes flipping better. I did realize, um, so last week there was like the thing with AT&T where like people lost cell service. And I was, mm. I was one of those people, like I didn't have cell service for like half the day and we had to take my son to the doctor. Like I, I don't want to listen to music on my phone and I couldn't cause I didn't have cell service. And I realized that like, I don't know any of the radio stations in Columbus. Like I know 97 yeah. one is a sports station. And then I know nothing else about the radio stations in Columbus. And it like made me sad because like, when I was yeah. a kid growing up in Philly, like I listened to the radio, I knew every single station and what they played. Um, yeah. And now I don't know any of them and like, they exist, but I, couldn't tell you what what number they should go to to find what genre of music. No idea. Yeah. Flipping, man. Yeah. Okay. That'll do it for this episode of Kings of Columbus. We'll be back uh, next week after Ohio State has started spring football. We have a very special uh, Kings of the North coming on Thursday on Leap Day on February 29th. We are going to predict 10 things that will happen in college football before the next Leap Day in 2028. And we will reference 10 things or more that happened since the last leap day in 2020 to remind you of how long four years can be in the life of a sport. So we're super excited for this one. We're going to make some crazy predictions, um, but running through the list of the things that have happened in the last four years in college football. And it's not just realignment. We mostly want to talk about football stuff, but also like a conference exploded. So <laughs> uh, I think I'm really looking forward to that conversation, Bill. I know we've like sort of outlined what we're going to talk about. So if you haven't listened to the Kings of the North, we would direct you uh, to that on Thursday. Make sure you listen to the podcast daily as, as Bill and Austin and Berm run through the final position groups here before Ohio State starts spring football next week. As always, we want to thank our great producer, Mike Yorostowski, for making us look good and sound good. For now, he's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Kings of Columbus.